0: Who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today the world is a little bit darker. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has begun, it is much more extensive than the eight-year invasion that went on in the eastern seaboard region of Ukraine in the Russian breakaway communities there. There are attacks on the capital, Kiev, and in many cities, seaboard cities, aerial attacks, a large-scale military operation by Russia, the aggressor, by Vladimir Putin, against Ukraine. A remarkable moment that could have years if not decades of implications for the world and it did happen on joe biden's watch we've had a lot of people on shoe. a lot of people didn't think we had a lot of big experts on here right dan hoffman and fred flights and many people and they didn't think that vladimir putin would go this far and i think a lot of people now are trying to figure out what is the end game where will this end is it an effort to weaken Ukraine entirely and throw out the government, weaken Ukraine, keep the government there, just create a larger security buffer for the Donbas eastern region where there are two brokeaway Russian-connected communities that Vladimir Putin claims he wants to protect. We don't know, but we do know this. This level of military action against an American ally happened on Joe Biden's watch. Joe Biden executed a strategy that had three things. Say if you do it, Vladimir Putin, we're going to sanction you. That didn't stop him. And then put out all the intelligence of what the American people, uh, American Intelligence Committee was intercepting about Vladimir Putin's plan, saying, we know everything you're going to do, Vlad. Stop it. That didn't work either. The Biden policy miserably failed because there was no show of strength. We took the military Action off the table. That's what all the security experts have been saying on my TV show and the radio show. Once you take military and you take all the options off and basically say, well, if you do a minor incursion, we're going to live with it, because that's what Joe Biden basically said. Well, this is what you get. You get peace through strength. And when you don't exhibit strength, you get losses through appeasement. And we have the perfect guest, literally the perfect guest, to help make sense of the first 24 hours of this major conflict, a conflict that is going to royal Europe. It's going to royal the energy markets. It's already royal the stock markets. And it's probably going to translate into much larger and more expensive energy costs in the United States in a country right now where we're already dealing with Bidenflation, where the Biden economy has taken a bite out of all of our wallets. All the working poor, the middle class, the upper class, everybody is feeling the impact on their wallet. Well, energy prices are likely to go up. Oil was already rising today. We're going to have a great conversation. Our first guest knows the world as well as anyone. He's one of the greatest national security thinkers of our time. The former ambassador to the United Nations the former National Security Advisor to President Donald Trump, John Bolton, Ambassador John Bolton is here. That's going to be the first part of the show. What a treat to get someone of that big a thinker here to make sense of this in the first days. It's going to take us days to figure out what Putin's intentions are, but it's sure great to have someone of Ambassador Bolton's expertise to be on the show. And then, right after that, we're going to go to the energy debate. I had a remarkable opportunity to talk to Dan Eberhart, the CEO of the Canary Energy Company, one of the most important oil services companies in the world. He is a a big thinker. He does a lot of great writing in Forbes and Newsweek and other places. And we had him on the show a month ago and everything he said came true. And so we're bringing him back on to try to figure out where this moves next. What does the energy market look like? And I think you're going to enjoy that conversation. We recorded that a couple days ago, but it's as relevant and important today as it was the day we captured it. So. First up, John Bolton, the ambassador. And then secondly, Dan Eberhardt, the CEO of Canary. Two great guests on a momentous day in world history. The world changed last night. Around 10 o'clock our time, around 5 a.m. Ukraine time. One of the gravest, darkest moments in European history in a very long time. Some people believe the advent of a new Cold War. Certainly a more emboldened aggression by Vladimir Putin that we haven't seen in the years that Donald Trump was president, but we have seen when Barack Obama and now Joe Biden were president. And I think there's a lot to absorb in that. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Ambassador John Bolton, first up to make sense of the Russian aggression, the conflict, the war that has begun in Ukraine and what it means for all of us here in America and the rest of the world. Right after this commercial break. IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Just News. That's TNUSA.com slash Just News. Hey folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. I am so pleased to introduce this next guest. He is one of the greatest national security thinkers in all of America, the former ambassador to the United Nations, the former national security advisor to the president, Ambassador John Bolton. Mr. Ambassador, welcome to the show.
1: Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's a dramatic
0: day across the world, not only for America and Ukraine, but the entire world is watching this. What do you believe the objective of Vladimir Putin's attack is?
1: Well, I think he has two. Uh, Number one, uh, he's fulfilling uh, uh, a a strategy that he he began really back in 2005 when he said the breakup of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. Uh, And I think clearly since then he's been working in different ways to – uh, to put it back together or or to put it a different way, to certainly reestablish Russian dominance in the space of the former Soviet Union. He invaded Georgia in 2008. He invaded uh, Ukraine once before in 2014, and, and now he's at it again. And it's related to his second uh, major strategic objective, which is weakening NATO. Uh, for Putin, it's kind of a one-on-one relationship. A weaker NATO is a stronger Russia – Uh, And I think he hopes to exploit what he sees and which, frankly, I worry about are differences between the United States on the one hand and some European countries, France and Germany on the other. We'll we'll see if these splits, in fact, develop. But I think that that's what Putin is looking to exploit. So those are the two things really on his agenda.
0: And does he go all the way to removing the Zelensky government? Does he stop short of that? Does he really need Kiev, or is he trying to create a buffer for just the the eastern Ukraine Euroc- uh, Ukraine area? What what do you? How far will he go in this invasion?
1: Well, that that's obviously a, a key question, and I, I don't think we know the answer to that yet. My own sense is that. He would love to find a way to uh, destabilize Zelensky's government, <clears throat> push it out of office if he could, put in somebody more favorable to Russia or in the kind of chaos that, that's going to ensue. It's begun begun already with these what look to be potentially very large refugee flows uh, just to get a regime in that's, that's uh, uh, more amenable to Russian pressure. My own view, and, you know, we'll, this prediction isn't going to last very long one way or the other because because <laughs> the event has started. Yeah. I don't think he's going to go for the whole country. Uh, my feeling has been that... Uh, that what he would like to see is more effective Russian control over territory in the east of the country and in the southern part of Ukraine along the north coast of the Black Sea. There are reports, for example, he has already attacked the port of Odessa on the Black Sea. These are areas which I think you can call culturally uh, affiliated with, with Russia, Russian-speaking predominantly, Eastern Orthodox religion and their faith predominantly, uh, and that he feels that, that he would be more secure there. But but we don't know at this point. Uh, there, there are certainly reports from all different kinds of places inside Ukraine, but I don't feel – you know, outside of uh, intelligence channels, we, we at least at this point have a good feel for what, what the full scope of the invasion looks like.
0: Yeah, I think that's the big question. The president said in the last 24 hours, uh, all of the United States and Europe are united. It doesn't feel that way. When you look at some of the Nord Stream 2 comments and some of the where NATO would intervene and not intervene, it feels like there's a gap there. Uh, is the president not giving us an honest picture?
1: I don't think it is uh, an honest picture, and I don't think it's been for some time, and I don't think it helps us. Uh, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to intimidate Putin, but he can see uh, the splits ju- just as we can. In fact, in some cases, regarding Germany, given his long experience there as a KGB agent in East Germany, uh, he may know the country better than, than many of us do. For example, uh, two days ago, the German chancellor announced the suspension of the certificate of operation for Nord Stream 2. And people said, oh, that's fantastic. That's, uh, he's stopping Nord Stream 2. Uh, but uh, while there's political symbolism in the move, as a practical operational matter, nothing changed. There are already in place two suspensions of Nord Stream 2. One, a German regulatory matter, and second, an EU review of its consistency with EU uh, energy policy. And According to uh, press reports, uh, the, these uh, existing suspensions were, were never expected to conclude before either this summer or one report I saw said uh, sometime in the second half of the year. So let's just say June 30. That means that for four months, Schultz's suspension simply rests on top of the other two. More of a sugar uh, so bill then, right? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a freebie for Germany and he looks strong. But if Putin understands what we've just discussed, it's not going to it's not going to dissuade him one way or the other.
0: Yeah, it doesn't appear. I mean, President Biden seemed to use two levers going into this. One is we're going to leak all the intelligence and tell him what we know and hope that stops him. And two, we're going to tell him he's going to get terribly sanctioned if he does it. Neither one seemed to be an effective deterrent. Uh, Is that a good way of looking at it? And what would have been the deterrent?
1: No, I think that's exactly right. People have to <clears throat> understand that the Biden policy has failed. The objective of the policy was was to prevent a military attack on Ukraine, and that's, that's what we're seeing today. All the leaked intelligence didn't work. All, all of the threatened sanctions didn't work, I think, for two reasons. First, I don't think Biden had credibility. Uh, and not after the catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan this summer, and not after uh, failing to respond to Russian incursions in Georgia and Ukraine before, as we discussed. Uh, and not only was his threat not credible, the sanctions he talked about were not strong enough. Uh, and uh, Putin may be right or may be wrong here, but I'm sure his finance ministry and other advisors calculated what they thought the sanctions would be and what the impact would be, uh, and concluded that they had found ways to mitigate the effect of the sanctions or could withstand them. So I don't think they're in a situation now where they feel somehow that uh, the Russians feel somehow that they're, they're in more trouble than they thought. Uh, again, just as an example, it's happening uh, uh, today. Uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced the U.K.'s sanctions, uh... at about noon american time and uh... he didn't say anything about the swift uh... uh... financial message, uh system uh... in fact uh, if i understood what he said in parliament swift is not removing russia from the swift system is not going to be one of today's sanctions well that that is the kind of signal to uh... putin that that he's going to get away with some uh... some pretty substantial leeway in these sanctions uh but before it begins to bite now it's an ongoing process you can't come to a conclusion today right now that the sanctions are not strong enough but i have this very bad feeling when you look at the nord stream 2 issue when you look at uh the financial market sanctions that uh... putin has his own weapons here uh let's say that the us sanctions against nord stream 2 uh, are uh, separate from the German effort really do bring it to a halt putin 's reaction may well be okay fine then i 'm going to stop shipping gas through yep. nord stream one yep. uh, this is not this is not uh, all uh one way action by the u s and and the rest of uh, of it of the alliance countries so uh, i I hope really that we are prepared for the Russian countermeasures because at a time of high inflation uh last I looked today, oil was Over $95 a barrel, Uh, people are already worried about the price of gas at the pump. That's a transportation cost that figures into everything, including the price of fuel. Inflation was at 7.5% last month. High gas prices, as far as the eye can see, are not going to make consumers happy.
0: Yeah, that's that's going to be Putin's hand for sure, it seems Um, you began saying around December, I believe it was when I I first noticed this, uh, that we needed to put some troops into Ukraine, get some training because it was obvious that Putin was going to move at some point. Uh, Why were you thinking that way? And how big a mistake was it for President Biden not to do that?
1: Well, because I didn't think that the sanctions that they were talking about were going to be sufficient to deter Putin. I think Putin is a very hard-headed, cold-blooded analyst here. I mean, today's theory is that he's become emotional and he's in a COVID bubble and he's he's lost uh, some mental stability. I I, I don't believe that at all. I mean, I wish it were true, frankly. I
0: I don't believe Uh, it either.
1: (laughs) But but I don't don't believe it. And uh, I think he's happy to have those stories out there uh my My concern was that if uh the steps that we undertook were not serious enough by definition they wouldn't function as a deterrent and uh by his actions overnight uh, we've seen Putin was not deterred uh the The basic premise of American involvement in Europe through NATO and a variety of other things since nineteen forty five and the creation of NATO a few years later was the peace and security in europe are vital american interests. that's why we created NATO. Right. but nobody ever said as long as nato is okay we don't care about anybody else because a threat to the security of a country that borders on key nato countries like poland like romania like the baltics who feel threatened by russia by belarus and by this kind of activity that their security is uh, related to 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 uh, to NATO as well and if you ask the Polish government today what they think of what's going on in Belarus or in the Baltics they say it is a direct threat to us so so if we believe in peace and security in Europe being an American interest we have to worry about countries even if they're not NATO countries so nobody's looking for hostility that's the whole point to to as as Reagan used to say this is a a matter of peace through strength. And we did not demonstrate enough strength and we're paying for it today.
0: George Shultz, speaking of Reagan, once said to me in an interview, you know, managing the world is a big, giant chess uh, board. And if you take your eye off or you keep fixated on one part of the chess board, something else moves and you're not paying attention. Does Does China take advantage of this moment and maybe try to move in on Taiwan, given that they saw weakness and distraction here?
1: Well, I'm very worried, uh, very worried because we, we are so consumed now with Ukraine that they might take advantage of the timing. But but even if they don't do something soon, they are watching what Biden is doing with great care. Uh, other than maybe Russia itself, nobody's watching more closely than China. And I'm very worried about the conclusions that they're drawing here um, and, and what it may say for their efforts to – uh, to pressure Taiwan to take steps in the South China Sea, to pressure Southeast Asia, whole variety of things like that, uh, and I also think, as I said in The Wall Street Journal last week, you know there is to use an old French diplomatic term now an entente between Russia and china it 's not a formal alliance, but it 's a set of understandings that they 'll have each other 's back uh, and that uh uh, in, in this case, for example, in Ukraine, it may well be that China has said to, to uh, Russia, look, if the West cuts off your shipments of natural gas and oil, we'll buy it. Yeah. China's an energy-poor country. They, they already buy some from Russia. They'd love to buy more. So this, is, uh, this relationship bears watching, and it goes exactly to the point jo- George Schultz made that you noted. The chessboard's a pretty big place.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's hard. to last question, because in 1994, we asked Ukraine to give up its nuclear weapons and we gave them a security assurance. That assurance has eroded over many years. Uh, was it a mistake or do, do we lose credibility now that Ukraine could be so easily trampled after we took one of their great deterrents away?
1: Well, I think it was uh, it was one of those agreements the Clinton ad- administration reached uh, in that period. Remember, it was the end of history. Yep. You know, the end of the Cold War meant there was no threat uh, that we needed to worry about. We had uh, what was called the peace dividend, which translates into shifting uh, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars out of the defense budget into the domestic welfare budget. And we, we are paying the price for that shift today. So this is a wake-up call for us, and uh, it's certainly a tragedy for the Ukrainian people. I think we're going to see that over the next several days, a real tragedy. But if it teaches us the lesson... Uh, that the way you achieve peace is through strength, that's important. As Donald Rumsfeld used to say, uh, strength is not provocative. Weakness is provocative. Yeah,
0: such a very true statement. Mr. Ambassador, it is always an honor to have you on. We always learn so much and get a clearer vision of the field when you're on. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thanks again for having me. Great honor. Thank you, sir.
0: All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Dan Eberhard, the CEO of Canary Energy, to talk about what might happen with oil prices here in America. We'll be right back. all right folks welcome back from the commercial break very pleased to welcome this guest back to the show last time we had an amazing conversation about energy and almost everything he said was going to happen has happened yes oil has creeped up we've got more and more shortages in in the world Uh, and uh, so we thought we'd bring him back and get an update because there's a lot of things including some half-hearted ideas to try to address the uh, inflationary prices of gasoline so joining me right now the ceo of canary dan eberhardt dan great to have
2: be back on the show thanks for having me back on i appreciate it
0: we the last time we were talking we were uh, you were predicting that this uh, crunch on global oil prices was going to keep going up now particularly on the democratic side there's some panic there's some ideas like let's suspend the federal gas tax or some state gas taxes you wrote a column uh in forbes in the last 24 hours great column one of the first things i read this morning gas tax holiday could backfire on democrats describe what uh, has you concerned about this strategy
2: well, I, I think it's just misguided. Look, first of all, you know, the, the gas, gasoline price and the oil price is a supply-demand issue. And I think Biden's policies have been, again, have been reducing supply. So they've canceled nine pipelines, including Keystone XL. They, the administration has banned fracking on federal lands, and they've um, stopped the offshore auction blocks in the Gulf for people to drill in the Gulf of Mexico. The idea that gas taxes, gas prices are high, so we're just going to have a gas tax holiday is, it's just nonsense to me because it doesn't actually solve, um, the, the problem of too little supply and it will just create more demand and it's just ineffective. Look, is a, is a, is a tax holiday going to really be re implemented next year? I, I think not. Second of all, um, you know, the refiners and possibly the States will eat into the federal yep. production. So it's just nonsensical.
0: Yeah. Well, if one takes away other, uh, others will give it away. You know, it just, they have to solve the larger issue, which is increase the supply to meet the current demands. And they're, they're kicking that can because they don't believe in it. Right. They don't want to enable fossil fuels is what every person is telling me that, you know, we've been able to talk to them. I want to take a look at, um, What can the Biden administration is dug in? It's clear what their energy slash environmental policy is going to be. What is it that Congress or uh, other political leaders, state governors, others can do to try to pressure force the proper solution, which is to focus on increasing supply and getting it equal to demand and bringing prices down?
2: Well, I think if they if they really cared about that, they would worry about, you know, increasing supply. So these are these these are things, policies that would encourage people to drill in America um, are what what in my mind would bring the price down, not this this gas tax holiday. So things like drilling fees, things like encouraging, you know, the Biden administration, they're encouraging OPEC to drill more, but not U.S. industry. So it's a bit of a head scratcher, right? Right. Wouldn't you think they want the jobs and the economic impact to be in Pennsylvania, North Dakota, Texas, not in the Middle East or Russia, for goodness sakes. But, you know, I'll tell you, Massachusetts and New York import natural gas from Russia. Why do they do that? Because they've stopped the pipelines from Pennsylvania yep. to those states. And it's, it's just a head scratcher, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you rather the gas from Pennsylvania? But, you know, these policies, they step on themselves.
0: Yeah, it is remarkable. <laughs> and Doing anything for Russia right now, giving its aggression on the world, is a head scratcher in and it of itself. If Vladimir Putin is the bad guy that he's, you know, been made out to be and you've created all this chaos and, uh, in Europe, why would we reward him by buying his oil and gas? It's just, it, there's no geopolitical sense to it on top of it. You had another column that I, I thought really opened my eyes to a dynamic, which is the big oil companies, uh, the publicly owned, publicly traded companies, mm-hmm are kind of sitting on their hands, I think maybe reading the tea leaves uh, of the Biden administration's intent to suppress uh, uh, supply increases. But privately owned producers who make up about a third of the uh, current oil production on American soil, they're, they're really planning on expanding their capital expenditures, going out and drilling. In fact, they're doing it at double the rate of what public traded companies are. What's going on there and what impact could that have at the pump's?
2: Well, I, I think that the, the the large companies are really focused on trying to be environmentally friendly and have a green policies and lean into solar and, and wind, um, or at least publicly, like, have this kind of proactive stance. The more medium-sized companies are more focused on returns for shareholders, and they're really focused on as the price has gone up drilling. You know, look, we, when, when COVID happened, we had um, 13 million barrels a day of production. Right now, we're at 11.3, 11.4-ish. So we're really a long way from where we were pre-COVID. And this is what I think government should be noticing. This is part of the problem of why gasoline prices are skyrocketing for people. Yeah,
0: it's uh, that's a big gap. I don't think people realize how big a gap that is. And, and given that economic activity is really gearing back up, that gap in production becomes more and more impactful on the price and on the uh, supply and demand equation. Um, I want to talk about two pipelines because they're obviously there's the keystone. We're not getting that one back. That thing has been shut down. But had that been left open, what impact would we have? And what is the danger if they shut down line five in Michigan? What does it exacerbate? What's the the downstream consequence from that. So if you could hit both pipelines well, the, for
2: you. The, the problem is, and, I, and I'll tell you, look, there's there have been um, there's the Constitution Pipeline, the Penn East Pipeline, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, the Northeast Direct Pipeline, in addition to the one you mentioned in Keystone that have all been shut down by the administration. What this does is it is it increases the transportation costs, increases the energy costs for consumers, and it puts the oil and gas onto trains, which puts means that your cherries or hats or ladders go from the trains to create more traffic on the road so a lot of these folks that are against pipelines i don't think they really understand they're not killing demand so much as they're increasing costs for consumers and creating more traffic on the roads yeah (laughs) By
0: the way, adding to the carbon footprint, theoretically, right? They're actually making their what they say they're trying to address climate change. They're actually making it worse, theoretically, if you if uh, uh, if you abide by their their philosophy on this,
2: you're just squeezing, squeezing the balloon and creating a different problem somewhere else.
0: Yeah, it's just insane. The the, the education we need to do for the American public. I think they're catching on. I want to go to this uh, this morning in The New York Times. There was an op-ed by former uh, Deputy Treasury Secretary. Steve Ratner, who very strongly said that Biden's explanation for inflation is simply not honest. It's not it's disingenuous. I think he is when he actually used the word kind of a, a diplomatic way. But in his guest, essay, he's basically saying that uh, Joe Biden has to understand what it is that's causing this inflation. The, this oversimplification that Biden has, which is, well, the, uh, the supply chain is the whole reason we've got um, inflation. It's really not true, as far as I can tell, from any economist I've talked to. At what point does Joe Biden have to begin to change his messaging on, on the economy? Well, I,
2: look, the, the administration is wrong. I think people understand that there's there's more money chasing the same amount of goods and it's driving costs up. Yep and i think this is affecting people you know the cost of people's ubers the cost of people's plane tickets the cost of people's health insurance everything is going up up and up the government's printed too much money they've been irresponsible about it yeah. and we're all having to pay the price
0: yeah such a such an important point that we're, we're beginning. To, I think the funny thing is, I think it's breaking through. I think Americans are beginning to get that sense of it. Um, one last question, because I, I think that um, there is an argument going on in the in the spin rooms in Washington that, hey, this inflation it would have happened no matter whether Donald Trump was in office or Biden, because the economy just had to come back from COVID and there was going to be this red hot moment. Do you agree with that? Do you think that this was going to be inevitable or did Donald Trump, particularly with its energy, his energy policies, Probably have created a different scenario.
2: I think it was inevitable in that in that you know look this is like a post World War II environment. We, right. We've we're all coming out of this. We want to we want to consume. We want to travel. We want to go places. We want to grow. We want to push our careers. I think that was inevitable. But I think that Trump's policies definitely added a tailwind.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the uh, in, in terms of the long term outlook, as you hit this one on the money, you you were predicting where oil was going before it got there this spring and summer what does the energy cost map look like are we going to have a more expensive summer than we have right now
2: oh absolutely like i think 85 or 90 dollar oil is the floor not the ceiling wow the macro fundamentals for the economy are good we're also in an inflationary environment and i think that this hopefully this russia ukraine thing is a precipice that will draw down but um that could potentially add more fuel to the fire too if that turns into a very negative scenario for the ukrainians
0: Yeah, and from that to uh, just getting into geopolitics for a second, uh, is there any lessons we should learn about uh, Russia and any American reliance on Russia, given the cat and mouse uh, uh, military stuff that's been going on in Ukraine the last few weeks? Well,
2: look, the the Biden administration canceled the Keystone XL pipeline, but allowed the Nord Stream Two pipeline to go ahead. Yeah, again, this is this is what people voted for. This makes no sense to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing because Biden started talking about what well, Vladimir Putin wants to uh, to uh, be a bad boy. Maybe I'll take that pipeline away. And they found out some of the Europeans aren't willing to do that. Germany said, ah, not so quick. We might not sign off on that. So we, it looks like we've given that one away. We're not going to get it back, which is even more of a head scratcher. Uh, it is always uh, an honor to have you on, Dan. You always make sense of this. And I uh, really appreciate the time today and look forward to your next column and getting you on again. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a a great pleasure. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88 year old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home all right folks welcome back from the commercial break what a great show a big thanks to ambassador john bolton and also to dan everhart for taking on some pretty big issues the energy market and the increasing pain we feel at the pump in our wallet that kick in our wallet we get every time we fill up the oil tank we pay the heating bill we fill up the car to go to work or to go on a trip it is a real consequence and of course we may see more consequence on that front and many other fronts based on Vladimir Putin's aggression against Ukraine in the last 24 hours. So grateful to get two great experts in Ambassador Bolton and Dan Hebert to walk us through what was and is a momentous day, probably not only for the decade, but for long-term history. All right. Now, before we go for the day, you ask often, what can you do to help us help you. John, what can we do to support your reporting? And what can we do to support the radio show, the podcast show you're listening to, my brand new TV show on Real America's Voice? I've got a simple answer. Support those who support us. We have an unbelievable lineup of advertisers and sponsors. They have top-notch services and products, and if they meet what you need, whether you're an outdoor enthusiast, whether you're a CEO of a company running a small business and have HR needs, we've got a partner in our portfolio to help you. We are so lucky to have this great a breath of support. One way you can help us is just by supporting them. If you find a product, a service, an advertiser, a sponsor you like, engage them. Let them know that you heard about them from Just The News and their products are great and you have a need for them. And there's always a discount, always a special offer. You know the deal we get with Birch Gold. You know the deal we get with Omaha Steaks. We've got so many amazing, incredible sponsors day in and day out. I want to introduce you to another one because I think they're one of the most important players in the marketplace today. If you're running a company or work for a company, have some executive or leadership responsibility, you may have trouble hiring the people you need, particularly in this labor market where millions of Americans have dropped out of the market. One of the largest exits in American history of workers, Other people don't want to work yet because they're content to just take the government checks they've been getting to stay at home. So it is difficult sometimes to find enough people to apply for the job and more importantly, to find the right person that you need to fill that job. Well, our friends at Workable are there to work for you, to help recruit and get you the type of workers that are going to make you successful and productive and at the top of your game. They work at every step of the hiring process. And they accelerate every step. That's what I like about them. From finding the hire, to casting the widest net possible, to posting your jobs on all the top job boards. Workables got it there. In fact, they posted more than 200 total job boards. That is a wide net you're casting with these guys. They're fantastic. They then help you evaluate and hire the right persons with the right tools and they help you automate repetitive tasks like scheduling interviews so you can spend more time on what's important, picking the right person and not so much time on process and busy work. Now, whether you're hiring for your coffee shop, or your engineering team, Workable is exactly what you need to hire the right people fast. Start hiring today with a risk-free 15-day trial. Here's the, what I told you, all of our partners give us a great opportunity. 15-day free risk trial. There's nothing to lose. If you're in the market trying to hire someone, for God's sakes, go check out Workable. It's gonna be free for the first 15 days. If you hire during the trial, which many do, it doesn't cost you a penny. That's a pretty good deal, right? Just go to workable.com to start hiring. It's very simple. Go to workable.com to start hiring and let them know you heard about them from just the news or John Solomon reports. We'd be grateful if you told them about All right. Fantastic day. Important day. Momentous day in history. Great guests. I'm really grateful you can tune in. So tonight we pray for a peaceful world that maybe this conflict would pass soon. But if it doesn't and it doesn't appear, it will that America find a way to resume peace through strength, to move past the appeasement period that even the Ukrainian president has criticized and opened in what you heard John Bolton, the ambassador Bolton said about the weakness and the failed approach to deterring Russia aggression that the Biden administration took. We all need to ponder the importance and the consequences of that. All right. Have a great night. May God bless you and may God bless this extraordinary country, the United States. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. History, economics, the great works of literature, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution. Did you study these things in school? Probably not. Or even if you did, like I did, maybe it's time for a refresher. Time and technology have changed a lot of things, but they have not changed basic fundamental truths about the world and our place in it as America. That's why I'm so excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses in the most important and enduring subject. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hansen today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free, and it's easy to get started, and it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu. Edu slash just news. One more time, hillsdale.edu. Slash just News. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out.